Well, here we are once again, sitting in the office, because it's nice and cool in here because we've got air conditioning and outside it is dreadful. Sweltering. You been outside today? I have. I went to Costco today, Ooh. do Ooh. a little youth group shopping with Pastor Jason. What are you shopping for with a youth group? Uh, like water bottles and mm. soda. Gotta keep hydrated. All the stuff that youth groups consume. Yep. So, I think it was just kind of a stocking up thing. So, anyway, it was sweltering out there. I Yeah, it looked like it. I dropped my kids off this morning at Grandma's house, and it was already like 85 degrees at 10 in the morning. It was wow. dreadful. I, I ran into somebody from the church in there. At Costco? Yeah. That's and not she, abnormal. And she, she came by, and she goes, hey, how you doing? I'm like, hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm just getting ready to leave Costco. And she's like, can you go anywhere and not run into somebody you know. I says, it's pretty much impossible. Yep. So. See people all over the place. Yeah. I says, it's good. I, I see a lot of friends. Keeps you honest. Well, there you go. And if they don't like me, they just kind of hide behind the, the, the Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> behind the Cheerios. Because yeah. they're afraid that they have something in their basket that the pastor's not supposed to see. Oh, it's so, it, does this ever happen to you? You're in oh, the store. All the time. You're getting stuff, and everybody's looking in your basket. I'm like, what are you expecting to find in there? A Oreos? nuclear weapon? Oreos. Yeah, you're going to find Oreos. Lots of Oreos. Double stuff Oreos. Mm, I don't like the double stuff. Can you believe how many different kinds of Oreos there are now? Yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Mint? Okay, but what's... What? Okay, the mint ones are not bad. No. But it's disturbing. They got, like, things like carrot cake and uh, lemon pie and... And what's disturbing about it is it really tastes just like those things. I know. It's fake. It's like Chemicals. it wired your brain. Chemicals. Elon Musk has wired your brain already. You don't even know that. We talked about that last week. That we was did. a good segue there. Yes. That was really in, nice. In, in review. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of news, um, the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye and Boy Meets Girl, Joshua Harris, who yeah. had quite a platform in the late 90s and early 2000s oh my gosh that um, was the, the homeschool crowd that it was their dream he was, he was their teaching champion. people yeah. he was teaching people the right way to get married by kissing dating goodbye and apparently what's the new book that you said his new book is going to be i kiss marriage goodbye yeah i guess so, so. he's gonna maybe the the next version will be say hello to dating again maybe i don't know not so good joshua harris and his wife are yeah. separated and it's a public affair yeah, it's a bummer. And they they announced it on Twitter? On Instagram. Or Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. And it's like, With like a totally you... weird picture of them two standing next to each other, smiling, like they're happy, good friends. And it's, it's just, just like, yeah, it was weird, just weird. Dude. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to make light of separation and divorce at all. It's a horrible thing, but it was just strange. I heard God hates it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, it was just, it's weird when the relationship oh. expert... Uh, Expert. I don't know about expert. Well, I mean, it was touted or billed as that's the way to go. So it's really a bummer. It but, is a bummer. But, but it was just, you know, the part was weird for me. Hmm. You read it like it was this big, friendly, happy, wonderful I know, thing. And and we're going like, to stay friends and everything's going to be happy for and our, our three, three kids. kids are going to yeah. be cool. And I'm like, I, yeah, I was slightly disturbed. There's by it. no way you are both that, uh, what do we call it? Amicable to one another. Right. Amenable, maybe, is the word. You're, you're no way that you're they're that nice to one another on Instagram. And, like, there had to be a disagreement somewhere. That's a bummer. It's sad. I'm yeah, bummed. Yeah, I mean, I don't want, like I said, I don't want to make light of it, but it, no. it is a little sad because I remember I was in high school when that book became like a big number one bestseller among Christian groups. I kissed dating goodbye. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, about I am going to make fun of it, not yeah. him. Yeah. 
But like when I was a youth pastor, uh-huh. like I had parents and my, my kids were homeschooled and um, we were kind of weird homeschoolers. We didn't do all the regular homeschool things. But anyway, is there um, a not weird homeschooler? There is. Okay. I, I, mean, I shouldn't I, we say were, such we things. Were, Someone's going to get mad at me for saying such things. Somebody called us. We were Rambo homeschoolers. Okay. <laughs> First we didn't go to all the events and all this other stuff. But uh, I remember being a youth pastor and like certain parents like jamming that book down my throat like you got to do this you got to do this and it's like no I'm not going to do this this book is weird it's that book and then what was the the one with uh, the guy climbing rocks and stuff what was that book do you remember what I'm talking about uh, I hated that book what was it called Wild uh, at Heart Wild at Heart that was the other one I, guys all the boys have to read this book I'm like yeah I none of my boys had a problem being wild at heart nope it was sitting there butt down trying to learn uh, algebra called yeah. wild at heart yeah it was like getting him to sit down and do algebra that was the problem okay it was not yeah you know setting something on fire stealing a car building a trebuchet setting stuff on fire that that brings back memories of my youth well you were kind of an amateur explosives expert when i you were a wanted kid, weren't to you? be a pyrotechnician from the time i was about 11 wow And then I took chemistry as a sophomore in high school and realized I don't want to be a pyrotechnician. Why? You got to do like math and stuff? Man, I had such a hard time with chemistry. Do you know? What we call stoichiometry. Stoichiometry. I remember it so clearly. It was chapter five in my my book when I was going through chemistry because the reason I remember this, this is sophomore year in high school. Now it's been a long time ago. I remember it because everybody in my class got an F on that paper except for two students who were in the class. And one of them was the only guy in our school that got a 1600 on the SAT. And, um, and so the teacher said, well, I'm going to drop the highest score so that it levels out the curve, <laughs> except that the other person in the class also got like a 98. On the, so everybody in the class failed. We all failed stoichiometry. Bummer. Yeah. And then I was like, yep, forget that whole pyrotechnician thing. Do you know that we have like a legit chemist at the church? He's not just a... A regular chemist. He's an organic chemist. He's a professor of organic organic chemistry. chemistry. And talking with my wife, organic chemistry is like the really hard chemistry. Yeah, yeah. So we give a shout out to Tom, Tom Olmstead, Tom Olmstead. Yeah, and uh, he's chilling. What's he? He's right now his big project. Okay, he's, so he's developing a new class that he's yes. going to be teaching on winemaking. What is it? A venter. No. Vinter. I think Vintner, it is. Vint- yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Something. Wine so, dude. Wine making. Yeah. Which organic organic chemistry, he probably knows a few thing or two about that whole deal. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe we'll get him to whip up the communion wine. There you go. Don't think so? No. Probably not. No. But anyway. Grape juice. Yeah. Smart guy. Yeah. So my grandfather was a winemaker. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. The old Portuguese guy. Like, here's the thing. When you're an old Portuguese guy. Yeah. You're a winemaker. You're a fisherman. You you sew net. You, you do all this. A man's stuff. man. Yeah, you just you, you the do most it all. interesting man in the world. Except my grandfather would not have been caught dead with a ponytail. Do you know? Okay, well, I don't think the I don't think that guy on those commercials had a ponytail either. He didn't have a ponytail. No, he just had a cool gray beard. He had a sweet smoking kind of like jacket the pictures too. of you and me when we used the face app the other day to see what we'll look like when we're old. Okay, I do use that face app. 
People and get all jammed up about that. I look bad. The Russians are going to steal all your information. Oh, well, forget the Russians. They I got stole my own a problems. picture of me when I'll look like I'm, when I'm 75. Well, I understand. They probably want to use my face in modeling things and stuff like that, but I'll give it to them. I it mean, was pretty frightening. When I looked yeah. at my face in that thing, I went, oh, my goodness. I have seen a vision of the future, and it is frightening. Well, what I'm going to do is, you know how sometimes we have people panhandle on the corner here? Uh-huh. I am going to get a picture, my, my old person app picture. Uh-huh. And I'm going to blow that up. Yeah. And I'm going to sit on the corner, and I'm going to start panhandling for plastic surgery. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is going to happen to me, and you got to help me with this. Because, man, it was help, bad. Help me out. Help, help me. me out. I'm going to get old. Man, oh, man, oh, oh man. Oh, yeah. No, that was a... Uh, you know what's funny is everybody said, it says, dude, you look like your aunt with a little bit of your grandfather thrown in. So that, that app's pretty legit. I guess so. Wow. It was, it was frightening when I took my picture with it and then changed me into an old dude and i was like whoa goodness gracious <laughs> i couldn't stop laughing so what is it about people what do you think it is that why people are like not they don't want to get old i think i think it's the way the, it's gonna I look think it's the, the way ending. they're gonna feel no no i think, think it's, it's the, the whole end. death thing the whole death thing death is typically rated in the top three of greatest fears really yeah yeah you know it's mm. really funny though it oftentimes takes second place to public speaking yeah see when you public people the public speaking thing as much would as rather have, be the guy in the casket at the funeral than the guy doing the eulogy well see then i feel like you know we do the public speaking thing so death we got big that deal. down man death, yeah. pff, man yeah, public no speaking death, i mean no big deal come on i'm i'm 55 okay, if, you had, I'm ready. if you had to classify fears like the mark childers what are you what are you afraid of mark Ooh. Like for serious, not not, not, the, not missing lunch. You got like a phobia. A phobia. Yeah. Oh, I don't like being in high high places. Oh, you got a heights thing. So like, I mean, I'll suck it up. I'll do it. I'll get over it. But like, yeah. if you take me on the top of a bridge, uh huh, and I look over the side, my knees get weak. So my dad was, um, he was retrofitting the Coronado Bridge when I was a senior in high school. That's right. He's an iron worker. Right. And so they were getting ready to start this job. And I remember really clearly, he said, hey, you want to go with me down to the Coronado Bridge? I got to go make some, take some measurements, look at some things. He was doing some pre-planning. So it was just him and me. And he had the key from the uh, the city to, to open up. To open up. Yeah, underneath. There's a catwalk that goes the entire length of the bridge underneath the bridge. So we went and walked that catwalk. And he was out there climbing around. And, man, that was something else. Because you're on this 36-inch wide catwalk that's see-through with just a rail on the side of it. Like two hundred feet off the water, it was it was pretty amazing. I'm telling you right now, if I was on that, yeah, and you were in a boat below it, there'd be rain in the forecast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were we were I up at the highest point, dying. We were at the highest point, oh, and I, I'm, I I'm looking, do it, bro. I'm kind of looking down, and I'm going, man, oh man. And in your mind, you have this thought, like, I wonder what a swan dive off of this would be like, which is a, <laughs> not a good thought because yeah, you'd just die. And my dad, he's standing about twenty feet away, looks back, he goes, "Those thoughts go away, son." <laughs> Nice. <laughs> he read my oh, mind. Oh, God. Those thoughts go away, son. I remember being that was a good one. in the Inland Passage. Uh-huh. I was going to Alaska. Yeah. And there was a ham operator, amateur radio operator, and they, he had this monstrous antenna. This antenna was probably 20 plus feet across. Yeah. And he was an older guy. And so I was the assistant engineer. And so we're going through the Inland Passage. And it's getting a little rocky because we're getting towards the Gulf. So it's going back and forth. And I am in the Inland Passage. I am 100 plus feet in the air. And I have this antenna 
and I am welding this pipe to the top of the mass so we can put this antenna up with this little seat belt thing around me. And I'm yeah. welding, and the slag is going down the front and the back of my pants. And I am not moving. I am <laughs> terrified. And I'm just making out like it doesn't bother me at all. I don't like heights. So, have you seen these videos? I, I, I might subject you to this. Maybe it's not a good thing. Is it a, a like high video, high places? Okay, so there are these videos. I on, see uh, my new favorite programs up on your yeah, video screen. Alone, alone. That you know, for some people, that's their fear is to be alone in the wilderness. Um, but so there are these um, these videos on the YouTubes where guys are going up to repair something. So we've got this this video here. Of course, our listeners, they can't see this, but massive climb. A uh, guy climbing up an antenna at 1,800 feet. That so is just loco. an antenna. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of frightening. I thought as a young person that I could get over this by just doing stuff, you know, going climbing some things. There was this... Uh, I'm glad my parents don't listen to the podcast. But there was this uh, huge antenna tower uh, above Black's Beach there at Torrey Pines. And my buddies and I went and climbed that thing just to go to the top and see the view, thinking I could get over my fear of heights by just doing it. And I did it. But you know what? It's horrible. Horrible. So anyway. Yeah. So fear of heights. No, fear of heights. That's a big My wife, not a fan of heights either. It's no. a pretty fearful thing for her. I yeah. don't like mummy bags either. Mummy bags? I don't like that, oh, like you the, know. When you, you go know, camping? Yeah, I don't like mummy bags either. Too claustrophobic. Oh, okay. But there's so many other things I'm totally not afraid of. Yeah. So, I'm good. I'm good. Well, I'm not afraid of public speaking, so I can't put that one on there. I'm not entirely no. sure what I'm afraid of. I'm not a fan of spiders. I'll be honest. Honest. Not big on spiders. Although I, I'm the designated spider killer in my house. Oh, that's our job. Yeah. I mean, you're, if you're a dude, you got to be spider killer. Right. My my daughters wouldn't go to bed the other night because there was a little black spider on their wall. Man, is it spider season or what? Oh, yeah. I got, I'm killing spiders in my shower. I'm killing them on my sofa. The other, I mean, I've walked through some more spider webs in the front of my house. Okay, so I was over at a friend's house a few weeks ago, and I was wearing a hat. And I hung my hat. We were outside. I hung my hat on the back of the chair I was sitting on sitting there talking it's i don't know nine o'clock at night i go i put my hat on i'm driving home and i feel this this thing on my neck nice and i reach back and there must have been like a slug or a caterpillar that had gotten into my hat because this big old fat cold wet slimy thing on the back of my neck grabbed it and it whoa kind of startled me a little bit threw it out my window you ever have a uh, uh drink out of a hose when you're a kid yeah and have a slug come out. No, that never happened. That's yeah, gross, that, though. That, that's disgusting. That's horrible. Okay, so um, in, in other news, I, I saw this this news story the other day. Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Guelph? Guelph, yeah. Yeah, the University of Guelph finds that cats are indeed getting fatter. According to researchers, cats continue gaining weight well into adulthood, and the average weight of a neutered cat, adult domestic cat, has increased over the past 20 years or so. So cats are getting fatter. All the fat cats are getting fatter. What does all the neutering got to do with it? I don't know, but we we really have people paying money, grants, research to study the weight of cats? Yeah. I, I, I think know. there's like more important things. You would think. That was my first thought when I saw this article. Wow. I was like, really? We, we have 
we have money to study the the weight of neutered cats? Why would you do that? I don't know. What's funny to me is that they had some sort of baseline to be able to test it against from the past. I've got a crazy question. So this has been going on for a while now. Wow. I got a crazy question. Okay. Why do people take their cats and their dogs to Home Depot? You saw a cat and a dog at Home Depot? Oh, yeah. Not at the same time. But, I mean, I've seen people take their cats to Home Depot. I've seen people take their dogs into Home Depot. It's like, do they need help picking out, like, hardware or the nuts and the bolts? Maybe. Two by four? I it's mean, man's best friend. Well, that's a dog, not a cat. Yeah. I just, you've got so many things you need to think about and manage at a Home Depot run. I just don't want to add a dog to the mix. Maybe it's their comfort pet. Because, you know, like Joe the plumber. Joe the plumber needs a comfort pet. I, I have not seen a plumber with a comfort animal. <laughs> I have not. You know. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, goodness gracious. Wow. Okay. Just curious. Well, just, there we go. You're in Home Depot. And it's like, if I'm working at Home Depot, I got to sort the nuts and the bolts and stack the lumber. And I got to, you know, take care Canines of. Canines and fleet felines and all kinds of stuff. Animal poop, too. That just doesn't seem right. Well, anyways. Just we've, curious. we've gotten way off the reservation here. Oh, is there a reservation? I, I don't know. know that. Okay. Can we say that? We, we have got, questions. We got some questions. All right. What is the difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation and conviction. This must come from the message this last Sunday, I would assume. So like you're, if you're convicted of something, like yeah. in you're, you know, wow, man, I shouldn't have done that. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, we talked about that passage in First John that says, if our heart condemns us. So I guess switching from condemnation to conviction, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Well, I, there, there is significantly a difference because condemnation has to do with uh, actual damning and judgment. And then conviction has to do more with re, 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 rebuke. Sometimes I have a hard time saying that. Rebuke and reproof. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment so that we would be rebuked, reproved, so that we would repent confess, repent, and be restored and uh, so that we would not experience condemnation because condemnation is the, the damnation, the judgment that will come in the future. I think it's fair to say that that's one of the marks of a spirit-filled Christian is that you get convicted right. of well, things. And, and a spirit-filled Christian not only gets convicted because the Holy Spirit's in the world to convict sinners of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Yeah. But the Christian not only gets convicted by the Holy Spirit, but does something about it right there. Exactly. Confession exactly. and repentance. So, yeah. I don't know. You have any thoughts about the difference between condemnation and conviction? I kind of feel like you, you summed it up. I don't really have a lot more, you know. I mean, I think I, I heard somewhere one time some preacher, I don't know who, you know, they all kind of mashed together, uh, was saying that condemnation makes you, like, run away from the Lord. Conviction makes you run to the Lord. I don't know necessarily if that's true, but I do know that conviction of the Holy Spirit, when responded to rel- rightly, leads to you not receiving condemnation, which would be good. Yeah, I and then I, I'm like, that's a good thing. If you're convicted of something, that's a good thing. It shows that the Spirit's working in you, and you're yeah. receptive to it, and you notice it, and you're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and, and yeah. Because God I, wants to maintain relationship with you and be in communion with you, and sin separates, and so he convicts us so that we'll repent and be restored. Right, and I've also, you've probably seen this too, the Christian who, and we're talking about Christian, but they're kind of get themselves in a place where they're they and their head are separated and heart are separated from God mm. because they're convicted of something, but they won't do a, what it is they need to, they won't do the thing they need to get free of it. Uh, but they're convicted of it. They continue to be convicted of it. And so they are a little less likely to approach God. 
uh, trust God, all those things. And it's clearly not something God is putting on them, but something they have cast on to God. And so that conviction is really, really important. And that you follow that conviction. Do something with it. Because you don't want to live under it. And then a good memory verse, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. So if you put your trust in Christ and you receive him as Lord and Savior in your life, then you are in Christ and you are not going to be subjected to damnation one day, which is a good thing because he took the the damnation, the condemnation, the judgment for us on the cross. Right. Enough right. said. I, think, I feel like that's answered. I'm going to call that an answer. Sounds good to me. Okay. Number two, I've always found my love to be responsive. How do I preemptively, or how do I love preemptively, I'm mm. sorry, how can I practically participate in growing my agape love? So it's a valid question. We've been talking a lot about love in First John. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. We're going to talk a lot more about it. First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let, let us, us love, love one another. another. For yeah. love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of, of God, God and yeah. knoweth God. He who loveth not, not knoweth, knoweth not God, God for, for God, God is, is love. love. Beloved, <laughs> let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Don't know. Okay. All so. right. Yeah. Well, that same chapter, First John four nineteen, says that we love him because he first loved us. So I would agree with the first part of this question. I've always found my love to be responsive. So that's true. We respond to his love with love, you know. Well, and that's also what we saw in First John three sixteen, uh, for this is love that He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our love or our lives for others. So you know we're we're responding in love, but practically, how do we grow in love? Any thoughts on this, Mark? Yeah, I think um, one of the places that I see that we can grow in love, and it's uh, God gives us this in the marriage relationship, a great place to grow in love, and you can do this with people. Obviously, you aren't married to, but. Um, one place I see it worked out very practically is in the marriage relationship. And uh, it was probably 12... When, when did the Love Dare movie come out? 12, 15 years ago? Is that the one with Kurt Cameron? Kurt Cameron. Famous Kurt Cameron. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I forget what the name of the movie. before you were on staff here. I know that. Oh, yeah. Long ago. So I did get an idea from reading the actual book, The Love Dare... Ah. And it was 40 Days of Loving Your Spouse. Did that, did that book come before the movie, or did they make that book? I think they made it like after or during They're the movie. They're like, oh, wow, we talked idea. about this book. We need to make this book. But they had 40 pretty practical steps. Uh-huh. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to throw... I remember you telling me about this. Okay, so I, I still have them. Mm-hmm. So I remember just throwing this out there. I was running Maybe we should do the Love Dare, the Mark Childers Love Dare podcast, and you just broadcast these. There you go. Well, we need callers, though. Oh, we'll have to figure we could that make out. that happen. We got the, the whole like thing to white, call in No, here. not white collars like the no, priests no, no. have, but people we can get some us. white collars. How cool. Oh, absolutely. We, I saw a dude in Costco had a white collar. That dude looked legit. Man, man. I saw this guy. I got a he Hawaiian was wearing, shirt. Yeah. He didn't only have the white collar. He had like this, you know, all the way to the floor, black, like gown coat that he was wearing he looked legit he looked like he was from the matrix i thought for sure that keanu reeves were gonna jump out yeah i was like man that guy's legit do you remember when the catholic priest guys or maybe they're episcopalians no they're jesuits remember the guys that wear the members only jacket oh no i thought you were going to talk about the brown the whole brown i remember the the brown the jedis those dudes are like the jesuits they're awesome they're cool we need a uniform we got a uniform yeah it's shorts and sandals yeah there you go okay anyway so I did the, the thing with the guys and basically I sent out an email every week and I gave an example of a particular act they needed to do towards their wife okay 
uh, one of you know thoughtfulness, consideration, just all these different subjects, forgiveness, all those other things. And so I would do that once a day for 40 days, and then I would give them some practical tips as to how you do that and what that looks like. And so, and they're kind of, you know, like Bubba-isms. They weren't, you know, oh, highly psychological things. They're very practical things. We did that. And one of the things that we found out is, you know, preemptively loving your wife, doing things that aren't expected rather than being asked, but just preemptively having that on your hard drive and doing that every day and trying to exercise this act um, it, that thing, I think I started with, you know, 150 guys or something that, that signed up for it. By the end of this thing, it picked up some pretty good steam. There's four or 500 guys that were, this is by email back in the day that were doing it. I mean, all the way like to New Jersey guys were doing it oh, and cool. they would send in their emails about what was going on. And, uh, there were some great emails, but basically, uh, the guys really, we're seeing a change in their relationship and they found out like, Hey, I'm leading this family. I need to preemptively love my wife. And a lot of relationships got repaired. Uh, it was kind of funny cause the ladies were not supposed to open this up. And one guy finally had to let his wife in on it. It was supposed to be a secret. Oh, she thought something's wrong. She thought he was back on drugs again. Oh, wow. Cause you're being too nice. There's you're, a severe you're, transformation. You're doing something wrong. Something is wrong. Exactly. But anyway, you, you mean to that, tell me he was more loving when he was on drugs? I think maybe she was going back to that, like you're guilty of something. Something's going on here. Something's wow. not right. So yeah, he had to had to rat himself out, and you know they called me to make sure that he was being legit. There so. you go. All right. But anyway, but by preemptively loving your spouse, uh, you're going to see that, and that's great practice for preemptively loving people. Yeah, and, and um, I, I think it's a, a really good thing. And I think that that falls in line with the um, you know doing the loving actions first. Right. And obeying those loving actions first that the uh, the feelings and everything else tend to follow after you start to do those things. But one of the other things I was thinking about on this is that, um, you know, if the fruit of the spirit is love, uh, Galatians 5.22, then, you know, God by his spirit dwelling yeah. in us has given us the ability to love. Mm-hmm. And so we have to obey his command to love God and love one another and even love our enemy. And as we do those things you're talking about, practically doing those things that are showing love to other people or displaying love to other people, then uh, we begin to be more loving. And it is kind of crazy how many spiritual doors that opens up when you preemptively love people. Yeah. It opens up a lot of doors spiritually and really gives you great opportunity to share the love of Christ with people. And people respond to you in a much nicer way too. That's that's a great benefit to the side. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So um, I think that's a way to grow it. I think it's a very practical way is you practice on the people that God loves. So, and not just where it's going to benefit you. Makes so, sense. You you would be surprised how much just being kind to the person, preemptively loving the person at your Trader Joe's or your Starbucks or the people that you interchange with, you know, all the time. In an appropriate way. Absolutely. And Nothing inappropriate. And appropriate. Not inappropriate. An appropriate way. Well, most people think my inappropriateness is pretty, really quite funny and endearing, but okay, I'll go appropriate. Yeah. And that's why we have to watch those HR videos. There you go. Exactly. Okay. Anything else on that? I think we're good. Okay. Number three. If the Bible is a mirror. Ooh, this is a, I love this one. Mm. Three. If the Bible is a mirror for me to see myself and not a lens to see others, does this mean that I should never confront someone if their behavior is not right? And I, I think I quoted you and you probably quoted somebody else. The Bible's the book that reads you. Mm. 
Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I did say that. It's very accurate. Yeah. So it, do, it does have a way of doing that. Yeah. Well, Hebrews 4 says that it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So it has a way of revealing what's really in there, which can be really convicting. Yeah, and the other thing I like about that verse too is if I'm trying to discern somebody's heart and actions mm. as a believer, uh, if that there's a heart or an action that needs to be correct, corrected or encouraged, what am I supposed to discern them with? God's word. Not my opinion, not popular opinion. And that's really been a good tool for me as a pastor to go back and go, what does God's word say about this particular action? Because when there's a scripture, uh, a scriptural foundation for something, then there's power behind it. There's truth and there's honesty. Not your opinion. Exactly. It's not your opinion. It's authority and it's God's authority. And it God's authority changes lives. True. So anyway. So um, maybe you've had that kind of conversation with someone or you've heard the anecdotal conversation where... Uh, a non-Christian says, well, you shouldn't be judging because the Bible commands, you shall not judge. Jesus said, thou shall not judge. Um, this question, I think, goes with that passage because that's not what the Bible teaches there. That's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. So it says, uh, judge not that you be not judged. With what judgment you judge, it will be measured back to you. But then he goes on to say, first remove the, the beam the from beam your own eye, your eye yeah. and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's an important aspect to this that um, if we're going to be talking about, um, you know, this question here, does this mean that we should never confront someone of their behavior if it's not right? No, that does not mean that we should never confront somebody. It's just that we need to make sure we do the, the work of, of self-confrontation first. You know, we first remove the beam from our own eye so that we can see clearly to be able to remove the speck from our brother's eye. So there are times where we need to confront somebody for their wrong behavior, their, especially if it's another brother or sister in Christ. You know, if they're not walking in line with the scriptures, we need to check ourselves according to scriptures. Am I living rightly? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then we can go and take the scriptures and do it in a Matthew 18 sort of way. I was going to say always in the spirit of Matthew 18, which is the spirit of restoration. Right. But it's also honesty and it, the assumption that maybe you could be wrong about this person. Exactly. And that's where Galatians 6 comes in, that you you uh, want to go and restore someone with a spirit of gentleness. And I think that you should go seeking confession and seeking repentance and seeking restoration are really, really important. So, yeah, sometimes we do need to confront people and it's, it's challenging and it's hard. But, I, I you know, I, I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had a number of people that will come and tr- ask for counsel or prayer because... They, they feel like they need to talk with a brother or sister about either the way they've been acting, some of the things they've been doing, but they're afraid to do it. And it's like, you know what? No, I think maybe the Lord has uh, put this on your heart because he wants you to go talk with them, but you just need to make sure you do it in a proper way. So, um, so those are good, good things. So yeah, sometimes the, first and foremost, we need to look at the Bible for what God wants to do in us and transforming us like a mirror so that we can see clearly to be able to uh, help other people. And I think if you're having a difficult time with this, this is a really good one to ask your pastors about in a situation because, um, you know, in church leadership, you know, we've got some wonderful saints. Uh, We have some wonderful saints that are kind of, we call them extra grace required, right? At times. That's us. That's us. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we got here. But um, we have a responsibility in ministry all the time that we have to monitor and just really, you know, be shepherds 
over the leadership of our church, the people particularly, you know, vol- you know, volunteer leadership, all those things. And if we have somebody that's a little bit off the tracks and needs some correction, we want to make sure we do it in a way that is biblical. That never happens. Is loving. That we have sheep that have gone astray. Never. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's not in the Bible because it doesn't exist. And not so, a cross connection. Um, yeah. Most, most, I think most good pastors tend to have a pretty good insight into this because you don't want to leave people in a position where they can do damage to others mm-hmm. uh, in leadership. But you also, you know, you, you need to uh, go into these conversations with grace and the spirit of restoration in these. And the fact that you might not have all the facts. So, yeah. Very, I'll, I'll very throw that good. out there. So, um, do you think more people have a problem not saying anything or yes. more people have a problem saying something? No, I think most people, and I, I do think that there, there are certain places in the country where people are a little bit more regionally uh, apt to kind of let someone know if they're out of step, out of order. Maybe use a hand signal. California ain't one of those places. A lot of times we just kind of, I'm not going to say anything. I can't say anything, but we're going to, we need to get together and pray for so-and-so, which is sometimes a form of gossip. That's, yeah, prosop. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. All right. So I think I'm calling one answer. I'm going with the answer. All right. Number four, is pride always a bad thing? I think we need to define the word pride. (laughs) Define the word pride. Well, it's so funny that you say that because the first thing that came to mind when you said that is I had to learn the definition, a, a textbook definition At for your pride. School. That's when right. I was a kid in junior high, and I still memorize it, a justifiable appreciation of one's abilities, worth's abilities, and high ideals. Yeah. Mm. That's been a long time. Uh, but that's not exactly the biblical definition necessarily. Um, well, a lot of times when you see this concept of pride in the Bible, it has to do with boasting or glorying in yourself. Right. So, so yeah. Um, but if you do a word study on the word pride in the Bible, like go get a concordance or just go on blueletterbible.com, one of my favorite places, blb.org, and you punch in the word pride, you're going to find that it's in the Bible a lot, and you're going to be hard-pressed to find the word pride in any good light in the Bible. So it's uh, pretty negative most places in the Bible, um, mm-hmm. being a arrogant, proud, uh, a braggart, a boaster, all those sort of things. Um, so, yeah, so... Most of the time you find pride in the Bible, it's uh, it's not a good thing. And there are all kinds of exhortations, especially in the Proverbs, about watching out where pride is. Because mm-hmm. uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall is uh, one of those passages that's important. So, so, yeah, pride, it seems to be pretty negative in the scriptures. There's only a few places that I could find where... Uh, it seems like connected to an okay thing. You know, Paul, he does engage in a little bit of boasting in the book of Second Corinthians, and he's boasting in the work that God had done in him, and he's boasting in the work that God had done in the church in Corinth, which clearly God was doing some great things in the church in Corinth. They were a church that needed God to work, just like all of us are. But um, so, so he was boasting in the work of God. But other than that, boasting in yourself? Yeah, probably, probably a dangerous thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the only thing I was thinking is, and it's obviously how you're, de- you're defining the word pride, is there's times right. when I'm like, how do I say this? I'm really proud of what God did when he's doing something in like a certain person. You see a person maybe you've ministered to, and you're looking at it, and you, at the person, and how well they're doing. It's almost like like almost like having a, a, a kid do a great thing, uh, and you're watching God work through them, and you're like, wow, Lord, you really just, it's I marvel. I guess is to say, but yeah, I don't know if pride's really the right. Well, that right falls in line with Paul's exhortation. Another one in Corinth: Let him who glories glory in the Lord. Yeah, and yeah. A, I think it's probably okay to say, "Hey, 
Now, on the I'm, other I'm side of this, what God did here. you know, the Bible has a lot of negative things to say about pride. It has a lot of great things to say about the counterpoint, the antithesis, humility. Yeah. Yeah. So humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Higher and higher. Higher and higher. And we can he, sing that in a round right now. And he shall lift you, you up. up. Yeah. I remember that song. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anthony. Well, yeah, there you go. Get him in here. We'll make yeah. him sing it in a round. Yeah. So... I mean, I hate to call Anthony round, but... You know, Listen here, man. I'm round. You're going to get yourself into Hang all around. kinds of trouble. Yeah. Okay. Guelph, Ontario. Guelph, Ontario. Yeah. yeah. Round kitties. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the reason for all the Sasquatch did sightings you, up there. Did you happen to see the news story that was out this week? Um, speaking of cats, that I guess there's a new movie coming out that is the musical Cats. Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats. And the uh, the trailer, I guess it must have dropped because it's Comic-Con week, but the trailer came out and people like are raving about how horribly bad and freaky it is. Really? All these people jumping around in cat suits and it was disturbing. There's a whole bunch of stuff. It was, it was trending on Twitter as being disturbing. Oh, because I want to say, I think my wife saw the... Cats. It seems the to Broadway me. I've never seen it. Musical thing. Well, this is it. It's going to be on like movie. on Broadway, like in New York. Okay. Like it a, seems yeah. to me to be a completely pointless show. I, I know it was huge back in the day. Okay. You know, but I mean, so were parachute pants. So what can I say? Hey, man, don't knock the parachute pants. I, I like the MC Hammer parachute pants. I want to say those Rex Guando pants. Those Can't touch this. Yeah. There you go. Got to All pray right, just so to make we're it today. Call that answered. So. What does fullness of joy look like in the midst of suffering? Did you address that, or is that an outside question? I'll remember you addressing that in the sermon. Um, Which is well, okay. Okay, so I mean, the, the series is called Fullness of Joy, so I keep oh, okay, mentioning there that. You go. Yeah, Must true. have to do with that. Yeah. You have any thoughts on this? Hmm. All right, I'll give my first pass at this. I think that fullness of joy, you know, where does that come from? What does it look like in the midst of suffering? Uh, I think, or what, yeah, what does it look like? I think in one way it, it, it comes from the absolute certainty that I have that I'm going to be with mm. the Lord for eternity and in eternity, there's going to be no more sorrow and sickness and death and all that's going to be done away with. Uh, he's going to wipe away every tear. So I'm taking passages from revelation on that one. So having that hope, then I can have a, a quiet, calm and joy in the midst of suffering because my, my hope is not in this life or in this world. So, you know, I think of Paul's words, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared mm-hmm. with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And, um, he talks about in, um, Corinthians, second Corinthians about us not losing heart, though the outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day, uh, for our momentary light affliction, our, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So all of those things help me to be able to walk through suffering. And I got to be honest in this full disclosure, I, I don't think that I've suffered very much in this life. I'm grateful for that. But I do know some people that have gone through some pretty severe suffering, whether it's uh, the illness and death of a loved one very close mm-hmm. to them or their own illness and um, and still walk through it with a joy that doesn't necessarily mean, necessarily mean that they're having like constant happiness. You know, they're not like always high on life, but they have this joy knowing that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. They're looking forward to that. I'm thinking specifically about a guy, you never got a chance to know him. He was a pretty uh, 
pretty solid brother here at the church and uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor many, many, many years ago. I was in high school. His name was Mike Callahan. And this guy served God so faithfully and had such great joy. He had this brain tumor the size of a bar of soap. And I think, I want to say he lived seven or eight years with this thing, wow. just dedicated himself to the Lord. And that was always his verse he shared with me, with sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And he, man, he ran the race well and had a lot of joy, even in the midst of significant suffering. Wow. Great testimony. Yeah, he was awesome. I, I was ha- the, It's interesting you brought that up because I was having a discussion with my wife just the other day on the couch because we were talking about abundant life. What does that look like? Mm. And just many people think that that abundant life is... Lots of money? Yeah. Really cool cars? Yeah, all, all this stuff, more stuff than you can take care of and handle. And I'm like, well, I think you got to look at distance too. I mean, to me, abundant life, I mean, when we're with the Lord in eternity, that's what abundant life looks like to me. That's the life I'm shooting for. That's the one I'm looking for. That's the one I'm hoping for. And so I kind of take the same course with joy. Uh, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength, and I want to be strong. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a little older than you, so I have a little bit more life and been some different places. And I've walked through some really, really hard things over the years and walked other people through them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't fake joy. Yeah. You either have that joy and that hope, uh, or you do not. And boy, I'll tell you, one thing that you see, and you've probably seen this, when you have um, believers that experience death, mm-hmm. you get a pretty good idea of what their real hope and where their real joy and what abundant life means to them when they experience death through their well, family. I know, you know, as a pastor, yeah. and you know this, there have been times where you are in the hospital room with some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, either there's been an accident or they're unplugging life support right. or it's one of those dreadful situations. And I've been in a number of different kinds of hospital rooms where you have the person who's laying in the bed who's a strong believer and they've been running the race for a long time yep. and there's a joy in that room, yep. even though there's sorrow in the midst of the joy. Um, and then you're in the room where there has not been a connection with the Lord and it is a totally different experience in those rooms. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things is being by somebody's bedside and they're like, they're done. They know the race is done. They know it's finished and they finished well Yeah, and they have that satisfaction in it. But they're they're just looking at you and they're like, they're looking at you, dude. And they're like, you know, I, had the, I am out of here. I had the wonderful privilege of sitting next to Mayor Gary when Rich passed away and uh, looking right into Rich's eyes. And, um, you know, it was an awesome, awesome privilege to be there as he stepped into eternity and he ran well, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of talks in this office and and he, he wanted, he would want to be here. Like you were saying, having some chicken wings. Yeah. Uh, I I was, although I'm telling you, he's, he's enjoying heaven a lot better. Yeah. It's the the wings are better there, but, but, uh, you know, he ran well and he had joy through the midst of it, even though it was sorrowful. Yeah. It was very hard on everybody around him and he got a reprieve. And he was mm-hmm. a great man mm-hmm. of God. I really appreciated him. And, and it was interesting because you remember things. I was on a fishing trip the other day, a great fishing trip. But uh, I was, you know, I had got all my fish. So I was hanging out pretty much alone in the, the lounge up there. And I go and there's a fresh thing of chicken wings there. Mm. And I, I grabbed a couple chicken wings. I don't, I've never really haven't eaten a lot of those before. But I grabbed some chicken wings and I thought... Yeah, I remember an old rich. It was a great, great time. There you great, go. Great, what a godly heritage. So it was good. Good times. All right. So uh, that's what full joy looks like in the midst of suffering. I think it's definitely connected yeah. to that. Opposite of terror and dissatisfaction and 
yeah, uh, all those things. So uh, it looks a lot like peace, I would say. All right, number six. If I don't earn my place with God by good works, then why should I do good works? Mark? Wow. Okay, so we need to get... This was kind of my whole message was on this topic on Sunday. Yeah. That um, our standing with God is completely determined upon what Jesus did, and therefore, you know, when our heart condemns us because we're not living up to the expectations of what we ought to be living up to, that he's greater than our heart. He knows all things, and so we can live with confidence towards God. Um, But as his children, you know, God desires that we would walk in rightness. We're not earning our place with him, but in response to his grace, I think we, we walk in rightness for his glory and ultimately to walk in righteousness or rightness, as I sometimes say, uh, to walk in obedience, you're going to experience the satisfaction and joy and, um, of, of that life. There is, there's blessings in obedience as Andrew Murray, a great man of God wrote. So, uh, I think that, you know, for God's glory, we walk in rightness before God, but also it's going to be the abundant life you're talking about. Right. I don't think there's an abundant life without doing those things that are in accordance with God's will as given in his commands in the scripture. And and why did he write those things? You know, because he created us and he knows how this body, this life is going to be best lived. So he gave us the, uh, the orders on how to do it. Uh, if you're sitting in the Starbucks and you're hanging out. Yeah. And you can probably, you know, if there's a crowd of people, uh, you can typically pick out the dedicated hardcore CrossFit athlete, correct? Sure. It's probably not at, car, at Starbucks. No, but well, or wherever, <laughs> you know, they're in the, you know, the GNC loading up okay, on vitamins, yeah, yeah, whatever. Right, yeah. yeah. Sounds good. And why? Uh, they look the part cause they put in the hard work, mm. right? You don't, muscles don't grow overnight. I, I once had somebody go, man, uh, you ride bikes. How do you know? I can look at your legs and tell you you ride bikes. And I'm like, well, that's just say, stop looking at my legs. Stop checking me out, dude. Man. Yeah, man. Uh, it was actually one of the church elders, but okay. Ah, anyway. okay all right. So, um, but I think it's the same thing with a Christian. I think you're going to, you are in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and your sin has been paid for. It is as far as the East is from the West. That is a great thing. And that the full acknowledge and acceptance of that should lighten your heart but it should also give you a deep appreciation for what it took. And as you have that deep appreciation and you're wanting other people to experience that same joy, uh, that same satisfaction, that same uh, assurance of salvation, that should result in good works. Uh, If you're going to hole up in a library somewhere uh, and not want to share that with people, if you're going to not want to help other people and let your good works so shine before men that men giving or seeing your good works rather would give glory to your father in heaven and i use that i'll i'll use that scripture at a wedding because i think our marriages should reflect that people should be able to look at our relationships as christians not just our marriage relationships but our our relationships as christians and go wow there's something more there than what a man or a woman can conjure up on their own by just being nice um they should look at that and go, that's supernatural. And that you should be able to give a testimony. There should be an example. That's a direct example of a litmus test, if you want to say, of your real relationship and dedication to the Lord. You can't go out and do those things and have it make you draw near to the Lord. That should be a result of it. And so um, you don't 
you don't go into the gym with the muscles, but you come out, so to speak. And so a, a loving relationship with Jesus Christ should bring that type of right actions and right works. It does not, it is a cart before the horse thing. If you're trying to do it the other way, you will never earn your salvation. You'll never be good enough uh, by your good works to be saved. Uh, it's because you have a relationship with somebody. Boom. Boom. Drop the mic. Boom. There you go. Toe. If right. the mic wasn't on a stand, a boom, then we'd drop it. I wouldn't actually. These things cost real money. They are, yeah. They are. <laughs> kind you of pricey. Yeah. You don't sound this good with a yeah $2 mic, right? Maybe you do. I don't know. You I don't know. It. Who knows? Do we have any $2 mics? Probably. I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. That's a good question. So I feel like we answered that. I say you did it. Okay. 10-5. All right. How do you handle feelings of doubt as in doubting the evidence of God? Well, that's a great question. Miles? Uh, good question. First, um, I think it's worth ad- acknowledging, recognizing that I don't know anybody that doesn't wrestle with some feelings of doubt from time to time. It's the question of how we deal with doubt when we have it. So, um, you know, I think that I heard one person say one time, and I think it's, it's, uh, I don't remember who it was, but I think it makes sense. Um, a friend who has had malaria before, Oh, uh, our good friend, Luke lives in Africa. He's had it like more than before. He's yeah, had many it a times. lot but of times. Once you've had malaria once, I guess it stays in your system. And yeah. from time to time, it, it kind of reoccurs. And I think doubt is somewhat like that, that it from time to time it reoccurs. So the question is, how do we deal with feelings of doubt in that situation? And so the way that I have dealt with feelings of doubt, because I, I occasionally have those kind of feelings is that I think that God made us to be rational beings. He gave us the ability to reason. And so we should use the minds that God has given to us. We should use our rational abilities to reason things out. And uh, when we do, you got to kind of start with what are the facts? Because there is a difference between facts and feelings. And, um, you know, sometimes people say things like facts don't care about your feelings. That might be a, an unfeeling way to say something, but I think that facts can be really helpful because sometimes our feelings, uh, they lie to us, or at least I've experienced that. And so I think it's important to go to the facts. And so what do the facts say? Not what does the fox say, but what does the facts facts say? say? And, um, in that situation, um, I think it's important to consider the facts. And so where I go with the facts are, you know, I look at the world around us looking out the window here. And uh, everything in creation and our consciousness, our, our ability to be aware of creation, our conscience, the fact that we are moral creatures and we recognize evil and good, um, all of those things point to a creator and a moral lawgiver. And I think when you start to really go through those things, you start to encourage yourself in just the reality of what you see. You know, you apologetically reason things out. Uh, that's been helpful for me when I wrestle with doubts. I don't know how well that answers it, but you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm... A little, little different. I think we all have different things that, that right. convinced us originally. Um, I, I think of that exchange with uh, Peter and with Jesus. And uh, Jesus says a hard saying, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you're not part of the program, so to speak. And it says that many left. Yeah. And he looks at Peter. John 6. Yeah. And he looks at Peter and he says, uh, are you going to go also? And Peter just looks at him and, and basically, in a nutshell, if I'm paraphrasing it, where else would I go, Lord? What else would I do? He'd seen too much. Right. And even though Peter had his troubles later, obviously, uh, short-term troubles. But for me, when I don't so much struggle with the 
is the God thing, is the God there, or is there a God thing mm. at my age? Yeah. Uh, because of my experiences with the Lord. But I, I had at different times going, are, God, are you caring about this? Mm. Are you mm-hmm. engaged about uh, with this? Right. Uh, like, why, why did this happen? And I think that's fair to ask God those questions yeah. because many times he can minister to you in that honesty and in those questions. It's okay to ask. I mean, most of the time, people that are going to be wrestling with doubts are wrestling with them because they're going through some sort of uh, yeah, suffering death or, or tragedy yeah. Or, yeah. or suffering and, and uh, that. But I like to, if I'm in a place like that, I like to go back and I, I do the Peter thing. I like to go back and I like to say, I go back sometimes and I'll just recount all the things that God has done for me that are supernatural. Um, and I'll go all into the practical, the provision and all those things, but just the times when he clearly stepped in uh, miraculously in my life and, and did those things and spoke to me and led me and guide and gave me guidance and then gave me the strength and the ability to guide and to lead others. And as I go back and I recount those things, those aren't things I can deny. Um, and they say one of the most powerful things we have as a Christian, as a witnessing tool, is our testimony. Because people can say what they want about the Bible. They may or may not believe every little bit of it. Um, I do. But uh, maybe they're not here yet, there yet. But they can't argue with your testimony. Uh, you were there. And they, if they do argue, they're basically saying, hey, you're a liar. But I just like to go back and recount the things that God has done in my life and the testimony that he has had and where he's intervened. Uh, in my life and the lives of my family. And I, you come out on the other side of that prayer and that contemplation, I think better and more solid and more affirmed in your relationship and, and how almighty and perfect and gracious and merciful uh, the creator of the universe is. When uh, you're talking about that, I was thinking of Psalm 63. It says in verse six, when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore in the shadow of your wings, will I rejoice? Yeah. Um, you know, that was a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is when he's running away from Saul for years. Yeah, that's a and big, long camping trip there, buddy. So when he says, when I remember you on my bed, his bed is like a bed of rocks in a cave somewhere in Judea. And so, you know, he's meditating upon the Lord and he's remembering, God, you have been my help. And so I rejoice in you. And I think that that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's really important. You know, I'm sure there were more than a few times where the anointed King David who hadn't realized the reality of being King yet was doubting, Lord, did I really hear you? <laughs> no. Did I really yeah. receive a call from you? And, um, and in those times he's going, you know, Lord, I remember all the things you've done. I meditate upon you and you've been my help. And so I rejoice. And I think another thing to keep in mind too, is when you recount those things, uh, the places where God stepped in, they're typically not the big deal. You close where you made a hundred thousand dollars. It's typically the thing that was out of your control, and uh, clearly you could not fix this yourself. And he intervened, and he he stepped in and did it in a god in a god way, where it wasn't just you. There was a witness and a testimony and a way to glorify God in it. And it can be as simple as just having a very sick child or a spouse, walking through cancer and death and all those other things uh, that we experience in life, uh, and doubt and all those things, and watching God be God. And he squarely in those instances, uh, when it says, be still and know that I am God, those are the times that you go back and you remember those things. And you call those things into remembrance. I think it's really great that we see in the Old Testament, they have 
what they call stones of remembrance, and they would pile up a pile of rocks so that a future generation would look at those piles of rocks and go, hey, Dad, what was that all about? And they were able to go and uh, recount uh, the glory of the Lord and how he intervened uh, in the lives and the, um, the history. At that time, it would be the future of Israel. So right. uh, I think it's a good thing to, to remember, uh, a good thing to remember. So those are a couple different ways to deal with doubt. Yeah. One is the facts, and the other is kind of the facts too, but it's the facts of how God has been great in the past. Yeah, I think those are both really for the future. super powerful tools. Right. Super powerful tools. So, yeah. Wunderbar. Glorious. Yes. Man. It's kind of like German glorious. Wunderbar. Wonderful. Wunderbar. Is that what it is? Wonderful. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, there was a local tragedy here. Did we run out of Twinkies? No, worse. Oh, worse. The local yogurt shop. Uh, don't even bring this up. I heard. They it's ran distressing. out of the confection known as Dole, Dole Whip. Whip. The Dole Whip is all gone. It is missing in action, and we heard, and it's, a, it's yeah. Now, now maybe, maybe someone told us that so we'd stop going there and they'd have it all to themselves. You think we need to we check might need it to out check this out on our own. We could make a call. Man, oh, man. I don't even know what that yogurt place is called. We just call it the Dole yogurt Whip heaven. place. Yogurt heaven? heaven. That's yeah. That place is inspired. Totally inspired. Wow. And the area that you can sit in there, I think they call it the yogurt lounge. Is really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We go chill at the yogurt lounge and eat Dole Whip. Do you think there's a place like a lounge in heaven? Do you think they got Dole Whip in heaven? They have yes. to have something amazing. Yeah. It'll be better. Yeah. It'll be better than Dole Whip. It'll be better than the. Fruit of the knowledge of good and evil tree. Dole we're gonna whip. we're yeah. gonna go kick it with yeah. David. We're hanging with David and Peter and Paul. Yeah, and we're gonna have us some Dole Whip or its equivalent. There you go, Mana Whip. Mana Whip. Mana Whip. Wow, it's probably better than Dole Whip. It's gotta be, but you can't, little, can't little leave it sitting around; it'll melt. Yeah, yeah, it'll never melt in heaven. It'll be perfect, man. Yeah. yeah. So we got to kind of think of a secret code word handshake thing. Oh yeah, you know what was ours last week? Loving God and hating sin, right? Yeah, no, was that? Yeah, it was loving was God one? and hating sin. Yeah, was last week. So, one uh, of our our dear friends, a good solid listener, uh, he heard us talking about tacos from Jack in the Box. Wants to go get some Jack in the Box tacos. So we're, yeah. gonna, we're gonna do that. Phil, we'll be down. We gotta go get some. Of we're those. gonna get some Jack in the Box tacos. I love them, yeah. man. This is, uh, yeah, he's a connoisseur of Jack in the Box tacos, and apparently was once a, a former- maker purveyor a maker of, of the jack, jack in the box, box taco once upon a time in and a previous life he had a cultural observation that at two o'clock in the morning certain people yes the clientele shifts a little bit yes more we'll call that zombie-esque so people come in there you go and uh yeah they would consume tacos so must have been out of doritos yes the circle k is right across the street from the Jack in the Box. And we all know strange things, things are afoot are at foot the Circle, circle K. K. Wow. All right. And there we go. There's our call sign. What? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Okay. There you go. Shout out to Bill and Ted. Yep. So uh, if you find and us it, on Sunday. Yes. You hmm. just come up and say strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Yep. We'll know. All right. Well, until next week. Sounds good. Send Adios. in your questions. Wow.